Turn with me to Zechariah chapter number 8, if you would. Zechariah chapter number 8. We're going to continue in our study of Zechariah and um, what the Lord has done for us in that book. It's so good to see all of you here and the Lord has blessed us. We had such a great service in the first service. God really blessed and I'm so thankful for what He's done. Looking forward to what He's going to do. Uh, New Year, same God, and I'm glad that you've started out in church uh, this this year. Uh, what a great way to start. I hope that your resolutions have not already derailed. Uh, some of you have uh, spiritual resolutions, some have uh, physical resolutions, some have financial resolutions, and sometimes we put all three together, and I hope they are still going strong. But I hope one of your goals this year was to make much of Jesus in your life and in your family. Uh, one way you make much of Jesus is that you attend His church. Amen? And I'm not just saying this church. Uh, there's other churches in this area, I'm sure, that honor the Lord and preach Jesus. And uh, good churches, good men, uh, faithful in the upstate and, and surrounding areas. But, but, uh, but there's, there, there are few and far between that make much of Jesus. And I feel like we need to make much of Jesus in 24 because I believe this. I believe that... Uh, the Lord is coming soon. Amen. I believe that. And this could be the year. And if it is, may we be found faithful. Uh, may we be found faithful. Zechariah chapter 8. Vance Havner, one of my favorite preachers of the past. He was, if I'm not mistaken, from Charleston, South Carolina. Pastored at the age of 13 years old. Uh, pastored First Church, First Baptist Church there in Charleston, I believe, at the age of 13. Now, how would, you, how would you like to have a pastor at 13? By the way, this man was a great man. This was way back in the day, but he knew God's Word and uh, preached uh, with power. Vance Havner said, Life is like a bowl of spinach in front of you. Clear on the other end of the table is a chocolate cake. And sometimes we find ourselves eating in that spinach that we, we're not really fond of, viewing the chocolate cake. If you were... If you were looking at Zechariah, uh, you would find in the first seven chapters of this great book uh, lots of visions, lots of things that God had in store for the nation of Israel. Zechariah is written to Israel, it has dealing, dealings with Israel, especially Zechariah chapter 8. It's dealings uh, with the uh, kingdom age or the millennial age uh, in which God has a plan, a future plan for the nation of Israel. And I'm going to preach that to you this morning, but there's also application. The application is, as we understand that not all the Bible was written to us, but all of the Bible was written for us. And so while we're looking at the nation of Israel, I want us to also say, well, if that was good for Israel in the application, in the context of, of what we're preaching, then that should be good for me. And you'll, you'll, you'll understand what I mean by that when we, when we get to it. Zechariah chapter 7 was... Uh, where we left off in the month of November. I started preaching a series through Christmas. Uh, so we, we left Zechariah for a little bit. And, and uh, sometimes when you leave a book uh, for four weeks or so, uh, for me it's five weeks. I was not here last Sunday. I was away with my family. So five weeks for me. Then you start going back and you start trying to recall everything that was said, everything that was uh, preached, and I was looking at the points and trying to keep things there. But as I was looking at Zechariah chapter 7, I was looking at God's chastisement on Israel, meaning that he had a call for justice and mercy. And he, he basically asked them a question in verse number 3 of chapter 7. 
He said, and to speak unto the priests which were in the house of the Lord of hosts and of the prophets, saying, should I weep in the fifth month separating myself? Meaning, should I fast? As I have done these so many years. So God is bringing to question Israel's motives. Basically, what God was saying is, Israel, your motives are not right. You're fasting, but who are you fasting for? You're weeping, but who are you weeping for? You have sinned against me. You've not obeyed my law. You have been brought into captivity. You understand, Zechariah, there was 50,000 Jews that had been in captivity, and they are now coming back to a destroyed Jerusalem. The walls have been torn down. The the temple has been burned and, and destroyed. And so they've come back to basically nothing. And, and, and God is saying, why are you weeping in these four times? You're weeping because Babylon was, well, you were in the siege in Babylon. You were in captivity. You're weeping because your, your leader, Gadaliah, was murdered. Governor Gadaliah was murdered. And, and uh, uh, you're weeping because of, of these things. The temple was destroyed and other things. And, and you're fasting. But why are you fasting? These are valid questions. But then he comes to Zechariah chapter 8 and he, he says, but I've got a bright future for you. There's a promise, there's a blessed assurance that's coming with these sufferings. You know, God is merciful, is he not? God is gracious. And uh, even today, God is merciful to us and God is merciful to his church. And may we never, never forget God's mercy. I want us to look at verse number 1 and 2 together in Zechariah chapter 8. The Bible says this, Again the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion. I was, uh, I was jealous for Zion with a great jealousy. I was jealous for her with great fury. That word jealous is a word of fury. It's a, it's a word of passion. Basically what the Lord is, He's jealous for Zion. He's ze- jealous for, uh, for Israel, for Jerusalem. And He's saying, I'm, I'm jealous with a great jealousy. I'm, I'm jealous with a great passion. Uh, as that word, you think about jealousy, one thing that would infuriate someone if they're jealous is they're, they turn red. Their, their face gets flushed. And that's exactly what that word means. That the Lord is red with fury. He is jealous for His people. I, I want to preach with God's help this morning on a blessed future. And the first thing we come to in the first eight verses is this. We're turning today into tomorrow. Turning today into tomorrow, the first two verses deals with the Lord's jealousy. He has a strong love for His chosen people. I'll also say this, the Lord has a strong love and a strong passion for His church. Can I get an amen? He loves His church. He he loves His bride. Listen, anyone that says they're saved and loves the Lord but cannot love His bride... That's not a good testimony, is it? You can't love me without loving my wife. I mean, honestly, I'm not going to reciprocate that back to you. If I find out you don't love my wife, then that's a problem with me. Well, listen, if you don't love Christ's bride, then you've got a problem with the groom. Amen? And so we see that he has a great love for his people, the the Israelites, in the context of these verses. But he also has a great love for us. I want you to notice verse number 3. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion, and will dwell. Notice the future tense. And will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called. There's another future tense. 
a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. I want you to notice the new city that, that God is describing here. The new city, this city that he's promised to rebuild. It will be different than the prior city. It is dedicated to truth and to holiness. That's what verse 3 is. He talks about the mountain, uh, the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord. That is truth and holiness. He said when this city is reconstructed, when the walls are built back up, when the temple is reconstructed, it will be a city that is dedicated to truth and to holiness. We see also in verse number 4 and 5, look with me in in chapter 8. The Bible says, thus saith the Lord of hosts, there shall, there's another future tense, yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, and every man with his staff in his hand for very age. And the street of the city shall be, there's another future tense, full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. He not only focuses on the jealousy that he has in the first two verses, not only does he focus on this new great city, Jerusalem, which is under truth and holiness, he now focuses his attention on safety. He says that in this new city that I am jealous for, there will be older people who are leaning upon their staff in the streets. They'll be safe. There's, there's children there. Think about anywhere there's children that's playing in the streets unharmed, unalarmed, unadulterated. They're there just playing in the streets. There's no, uh, J. Vernon McGee in his commentary on Zechariah chapter 8 said that he believes in the millennial reign there'll be no automobiles. And this verse, uh, I, I don't know what I think about that, but it's very, it's very uh, uh, mind, uh, I guess, causing us to think a little bit because if you see old photographs and even video footage, like the old reel-to-reel, before a- automobiles were really a thing or maybe coming a thing, uh, children used to play in the streets. They used to just sit on the sidewalks and they would run. They would ride bikes. They would have a good time. The occasional buggy and horse would come by. The occasional maybe automobile or, or uh, uh, something like that would drive by. But, but not like today. No, we, none of us would let children play on Harrison Bridge Road, right? <laughs> good grief. I, I'm not playing near it either. I think we're too close as it is. But you understand this, it's dangerous today. Just and, and here's what the Lord is saying. During this kingdom age, during this millennial reign, there will be safety. The children won't have to worry anymore. The elderly won't have to worry anymore. And by the way, if you go to Jerusalem today, I've been over there several times, you'll have 16-year-olds walking to the mall or walking down the street, and I'm not exaggerating, anybody that's been to the Holy Land knows this, in Jerusalem, 16-year-olds walking and and talking with an Uzi strapped to their back. Every one of them. It ain't just a certain, it's every one of them, as soon as they reach the age of 16, they have to join the IDF, they have to join the Israel Defense Forces, and they have to give at least two years to the military. And so girls and boys have to walk down the street, and though they may be talking and having a good time, maybe kicking a soccer ball, or just chatting on their back will be a semi-automatic weapon, because at any time, an enemy, as we've seen in October, an enemy can, can go over the wall, or or, or, or plant a bomb, and they have to be ready. And you know what the Lord is saying during this millennial reign? That won't happen. You know what children will be doing? They'll be acting like children. 
You know what the older folks will be doing? They'll be acting uh, as older folks do, sit around and talk and tell jokes and have a good time. And, and you know what we're doing uh, now? You know what we're doing in our nation now? We're killing children. You know what they're doing just north of us in Canada? They have, are now uh, practicing euthanasia. What are they doing when older folks get old and there's really nothing else they do? They have no, uh, no really life left to them or, or really anything they can give? They kill them. And if you think, well, that'll never happen here. My friend, can I tell you, we used to say that about a lot of things. But when our government says that there's no use, you have no reason to be here, uh, don't, they, they'd kill you and not even bat an eye. And we, uh, you know what the Lord is saying though, in this millennial day, in this thousand year reign of Christ, when he sets his throne in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, kids will be in the streets and the older will be safe with their staff and they'll be resting. Jonathan Edwards, he said, oh, how good to work for God in the daytime and at night lie down with the smile of God on you. Not, not so today in the streets of Jerusalem, but one day it will be that way. I want you to notice something about verse number 6. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If it be marvelous, in the eyes of the remnant of his people in them days, these days, should it also be marvelous in, thy, in mine eyes, saith the Lord of hosts? Basically what this text is, is if it be amazing for you, marvelous, something that is amazing, something that seems almost seemingly impossible. That's what that marvelous means. If it be amazing for you, is it too hard for me? That's the question in verse number six. Do you think it's too hard for me? He said, all of these things that I am going to do in Jerusalem, all these things that I'm going to provide, the safety and the security and the blessings and all of the rebuild and all of this, do you think that's too amazing? Because if you think that's amazing, you haven't seen nothing yet. I was reading a little bit of Spurgeon this morning, and Spurgeon said when he was a little boy, he was invited over to a house to just see this. He had made a friend, and this friend said, I want you to come to my house, and I want you to see where I live. And so the dad was there and greeted Spurgeon, and Spurgeon, just a little boy, maybe seven, eight years old, walked inside this mansion of a house. He said, when I walked inside this house, he said, I just could not get over the grandeur of this house. I walked in and I was like, wow, look at this house. Oh my goodness, I can't believe anybody would live in such a marvelous house. And the man said, oh, son, this is just the servants' quarters. This is not the house. The house is on the backside. You haven't seen nothing yet. And I honestly think that our God says, if you think I've been good now, you ain't seen nothing yet. If you think he's been good in church, all of us could say, God has been good. Amen. God has been good. But think about this. If he thinks, if we think that God has been so good now, we have not seen, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither in the hearts, entered into the hearts of man what he has prepared for us. Listen, we know good and well that God has been good, but we have not seen all of his goodness on display. Oh no. He said it's marvelous. Then I want you to notice verse number 7 and 8. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people, another future tense, from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them, another future tense, they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. We see a restoration taking place. 
I will save. I will choose. I will defend. I will restore. This is a restoration. We, we've seen some Jewish groups uh, journey back to Jerusalem in recent days, in recent years. I would say it's been very, very evident in the last 30 years of, of Jews from all over the world coming back to Jerusalem. And we're going to see it more and more. But can I tell you something? When Spurgeon and Simeon was preaching a hundred years before 1948, or at least 80 years before that, and they were preaching about the restoration of Israel, that's what fascinates me, is the preachers that were saying before Israel was a nation, that the, the Jews are coming back home. They've been scattered abroad, but they're coming back home. And can I say this in a future tense? We are seeing it with our very eyes that the Jews are coming back home. And why are they coming back home? Because God said they would. Something's about to happen. Something's about to take place. God's people, His chosen people are coming back and, and the nation of Israel is growing by the day. They're coming back home. They've been away. They've, been, they've had their families all, all scattered abroad the nation. But they are now coming back and that has been prophesied and it's even going to get more and more as we see the day approaching. I want you to notice that turning today into tomorrow. This is what the Lord is saying. Hey, you're today. Uh, I'm going to bless you tomorrow. I know you're suffering today, but there is a tomorrow. I know that you're, 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 you're away from me today, but one day you'll be back and restored tomorrow. But then I want you to notice the second thing. The second thing is turning our blight into blessings. Look with me in verse number 9. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong. The Lord says, I've got something for you to do. I want your hands to be strong. I want strength to be in your hands. And here's what He says. Verse 9, Ye that hear in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets, Haggai, which were in the day of that foundation of the house of the Lord and of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before these days was there no hire for man, nor any hire for beast, neither was there any peace to him that went out and came in because of the affliction. For I set all men, every one against his neighbor, but now I will not be unto the residue of this people, as in former days, saith the Lord of hosts, for the seed shall be prosperous, thy vine shall give fruit, and the ground shall be her increase, and the heavens shall give their due, and I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all things. So the Lord is, in these verses, are saying, I'm setting you up for a blessing. You are going to see the, the fruits of your labor. I'm going to be merciful, and I'm going to bless your land. But why? Why would the Lord do this? I want you to notice, look at verse number 13. And it shall come to pass that as ye were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah and the house of Israel, so will I save you, and ye shall be a what? Say it again. One, two, three. Bless. Ye shall be a blessing. Ye shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. I, I see encouragement. Because he says it in verses 9 through 13, they had not been faithful. If you read the rest of this chapter, if you, or the rest of uh, uh, or the front part of Zechariah, Zechariah 1 through 7, they had not been faithful. If you read Haggai chapter 1, 
They had not been faithful in what God had told them to do. God had specifically wanted them to build the temple, and guess what they did? Instead of finishing the temple, they built their houses. And God said, you've not really been faithful in the things that I told you to. And so he withheld the blessings from the Lord. They were busy with their own houses. They didn't have time for God's house. Matter of fact, if you would, just turn a couple pages over to Haggai chapter 1. That's the book right before Zechariah. This is the prophet that would have been right there with Zechariah preaching. Haggai chapter 1. And look with me in verse 3. And notice what the Lord has put into the mouth of the prophet Haggai to say to the people these 50,000 Jews that came from Babylon to Jerusalem. Here's what he said in verse number 3. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? That means that word sealed means paneled, covered houses, houses with nice roofs, houses that have what we would call sheetrock inside, these, these more secured houses. Is it... Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Now here's what he's saying. You're not blessed and here's the reason why. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. He that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. You're putting money into a savings account, but there's more money going out than going in. You're eating, but you're not satisfied. You're drinking, but you're not, you're, you're not, your thirst is not quenched. You're clothing yourself, but you're still not warm. He said, the reason why is you have not done what I've told you to do. I commanded you to build the temple of the Lord. I commanded you to build the house of the Lord. But what did you do? You got too busy building your own house. What do we do here this time? We're busy, aren't we? And let me just say, just because you're busy doesn't mean you're blessed. Can I get an amen? If that's the case, then Haggai would have been blessed, or at least the, the, the people under Haggai's preaching would have been blessed. The nation of Israel, they were busy, but they were busy in the wrong direction. Listen, you can get busy, but you can get busy in the wrong place, right? And that's exactly what had taken place. And then he says in verse number 12 of Zechariah chapter 8, he says, but now the land will be refreshed. It's going to increase and I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. So he says, you want my blessings. Church, don't miss this. You want my blessings. These are the things that you must do. Be obedient. See, people, listen, if you're, if you're so out there, because I'm preaching and I'm in the middle of Zechariah. Some of you that's come, we preach verse by verse. And so I realize when you visit a church and they're in the middle of a prophetic book and you're like, what in the world did I visit today? And I'm lost. Some of you are members here and you're lost. Amen. But I understand if you're like, okay, what's going on here? And, and I understand that. But if you miss the Zechariah part, if you miss the prophetic part, at least don't miss this message within the message. Because people have an absolute misconception of blessing. 
You say, what do you mean by that? Well, let's just keep these two facts about material blessings in mind. First of all, and remember this, we don't obey God just to become wealthy and secure. We don't. We obey Him because He is God. We obey Him because He deserves our loving obedience. And see, obedience builds character. And when our character is what it ought to be, God can trust us with His blessings. Amen. We've got the blessings things mixed up because material blessings aren't bribes. God is not up in heaven saying, if you'll do what I've told you to do, I'm going to give you something. That's not how all of this works. God has said it in, in this book, in this holy writ. God has given us his commands and he's given us his desires. He's given us his love letter. And we are to do this book and to read it, not just be hearers of the word, but doers. And when we do this book, sometimes it's really hard, but when we do it by faith and trust it, God's promise to reward us. If you go over to Deuteronomy chapter 27, 28, God told Israel the same thing. You do these things, I will bless you. If you do not do these things, I will curse you. The same thing with the the life of a Christian. Church, please don't miss this because this is a great message to preach on the first Sunday of the year. Those of you that are trying to figure out the Christian life on your own will fail miserably. Those of you that are not givers but takers will fail miserably. Those of you that know God said that we should give a tithe of our income to the Lord. That, by the way, that was established before the law. That was just the starting point. And those of you who said, yeah, I know God said it, but I'm going to do it my own, my own. Listen. Go ahead and do it on your own, but you're going to have a hole in your bag. Oh, I know this is rough on Sunday morning. Visitors, forgive me, but it's in the book. Those of you who said, well, I'm going to raise my children, but I'm going to raise them on the way I want to raise them. Hey, hey, let me tell you something. Danger, danger. I'm going to be a good husband and a good wife, but I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. Hold on a second. Hey, we need the blessings of God. Church, that goes for us. When we try to do church the way that we want to do it, when we try to pastor the way that we think we ought to pastor instead of the way God tells us to pastor, listen to me, heavy, heavy will hang over us if we try to do it in our own strength and our own way. We need the blessings of the Lord. They are God's way of saying, you're maturing in godliness, now I can give you more to use for my glory. So often we think, well, yeah, we get blessings from God, so my bank account's going to grow. No, no. We often get blessings from the Lord to bless others. Amen. God is going to bless those that bless others. He blesses a cheerful giver. God loveth a cheerful giver. Why? Because that person is always thinking about others in mind. And it's not about them. It's not about bigger houses and bigger cars. And someone says, well, i got to raise at work. Let's run back out to the Chevrolet dealership and let's buy a bigger truck. How many trucks do you have to buy to say, I've got a bad truck? How many houses do you have to live in to say, I'm satisfied. This is finally the biggest house. This is the best. No, no, no. When you're eat up with materialism, you say, I want more so that I can have more. Instead of saying, you know, I want to be a blessing to others. 
Nothing wrong with those. Listen, I love big trucks. I love loud trucks. I love things that blow up. I love things that catch on fire. I love things that, that I do. I'm being honest with you. I love gadgets and gizmos just like anybody in here. I love them, but hold on a second. When they possess you, and when they control your ever being and you work overtime and overtime just to make it ahead so the Joneses down the street can see all the gadgets you've got, you have your priorities in the wrong place. Can I get an amen? I mean, we are just so messed up sometimes when we think that we have to have more. Now, hold on a second. Let me throw a wrench into this. God doesn't always respond with material blessings, number one. But also, poverty is not a sign that God has forsaken His people. So, all the poor people in the house, you say, well, I must be doing something wrong. No, no. Poverty is not necessarily a sign that God is chastising you. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, I'm reading Job right now. Job was the wealthiest man in the world at that time. Job was a wealthy man... And one day, and he is, the Bible says he escheweth evil. He, he was an upright man. And, and when they were looking, uh, Satan kept going to and fro the earth. And he was looking for a righteous man. He said, I think I can find one that will curse God. And God said, well, there's my servant Job. Have you considered him? And, and Satan, of course, says, yeah, I, I'll go and, and pick on Job a little bit. And I guarantee you, God, that, that if I get on his back, he's going to turn back and curse you. And God said, you can do everything to him, but you kill him. And he did. Wiped out all of his family. Big winds came and blew everything that he had down. Enemies came and destroyed his servants. And robbed. he did not have nothing but literally the, the, the coat on his back and his wife and even his own wife, uh, I'm sure in the midst of all that, suffered a lot of things. And she even told her husband, hey, why don't you just curse God and die? Think about that. Had Job done anything wrong? Had Job said, I'm just not going to be faithful anymore. I'm not going to obey God anymore. And I don't read that in the book of Job at all. But here's what I do see. Church, stay with me. Job's friends, Zophar, Bildad, and Tobiah, I think, maybe, Teldad. Those friends came and sat down beside Job. And let me tell you something. If you're going to have friends, Job had the wrong friends. Because you know what the Job, they sit there in seven days and didn't say nothing, which is fine. Sometimes they're giving us an example. We, we sometimes we say too much in the midst of pain. But then they started talking. That was the problem. Here's what they said to Job in the midst of his pain and poverty and suffering. They said, what sin are you hiding? Job, what did you do to make God so upset with you? I mean, for a lot of chapters. Now, Job, I think in chapter 13 and 14, looked at them and said, are y'all done talking? And they wasn't, by the way, because when one would shut up, the other one start talking. Get better friends, by the way, and be a better friend. Amen. Job went through that poverty. He was not being chastised by God. Because even when in the lowest that Job had ever got, he said this, though he slay me, Yet will I trust in Him. 
The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's not a man that's being chastised. And that's not a man that is uh, in sin. That's a man that is godly who knows that this is a testing from the Lord. Can I say, poverty is not necessarily the chastisement of the Lord. I want you to notice the distinctions of blessings. See, God's covenant with Israel, His punishment, uh, His physical, material blessings uh, for lack of obedience. As I said, Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28, cursings and blessings. Then God has even a covenant with His church. He, uh, talking about you and I, He promises to meet all of our needs. Amen? Not all of our wants, all of our needs. He said in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, But my God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. You understand that the Lord Jesus is the one that blesses. He directs all of our circumstances. We know that all things work together for the good. We know that. We also know that He promises to bless us with spiritual blessings, not necessarily physical ones. Sometimes physical ones are great but spiritual blessings. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God of our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who, is bless, who blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So God is the blesser. God is the one that wants to bless us. And by the way, the greatest thing, man, the greatest thing that you have today outside of your salvation is your precious wife beside you and your health. Can I get an Amen. You are a rich man if your family's in church today. You're a rich man if your health is here today. You're a rich man if you're married and you're wonderfully married. Hey, you're wealthy beyond your imaginations. And God has been so good. Can I give you a little pop quiz on Sunday morning? Are you ready? Will you be truthful and answer these? In your mind and in your heart? Did you sense... God's presence in your devotions today. Many of you, look at me, and I, I know this is, but you, are, you have come to your weekly God, and that's all you get of God all week. This is it. So I'm supposed to be your spiritual blesser. What's Pastor Cox have for me today? Hey, can I ask you this question? What did you get out of your own personal study? Today, I know it's early, so maybe Sunday, maybe you do it later, it's fine. But how about, how'd you start this year off? We're only seven days into this year. Have you done derailed your personal devotions? Have you done derailed your prayer life and your, your devotion? Have you done said, you know what, Sunday's coming and I, I'll get some God Sunday. Hold on a second, pal. I'm not the one that... That I do, I feed you on Sunday, but that's not, that's not going to last some of you. It won't last till the end of the, the day. You need God every day. I need God every day. And it's just not my job as a pastor to study. We're all commanded to study to show ourselves approved. We're all commanded to read our Bible and walk with God and have devotion did you experience God's blessings upon your life today? Did you sense God's presence in your devotions today? Did you experience joy in your life today? Some of you, joy on Sunday, that's a funny thing because you have to get kids ready for church. You get up in the morning and the kids and your wife's running late. You're sitting out in the, in the driveway. You're honking the horn. Come on, we're 
we're going to be late. She's in there curling eyelashes and curling hair and putting makeup on. And, and you know she's going to be late to her funeral. And you're mad as a hornet. The kids are screaming in the back. And the moment you pull into the parking lot, a, an usher or a parking lot attendant greets you out there and says, How you doing? Hey, brother, good to see you. The, you're a line somebody. You know good and well you have not been the joy of the Lord on Sunday. How was your sweet communion in your car this morning? Notice verse 16. The Bible says, These are the things that ye shall do. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts again against his neighbor. And love no false oath. For all these things are things that I hate, saith the Lord. You know what the Lord is saying? I'm still holy. Be ye holy as I am holy. Hate, hate false things. Love truth. Speak truth. Be honest. By the way, honesty is the best policy. That's what he's saying. Despise evil. Let none of you imagine wickedness in your hearts. Tertullian, he said this, truth does not blush. Truth is always the chief thing. Truth always comes to the top. Truth is always revealed. Speak truth one to another. Be honest in your dealings. Hey, one of your goals this year should be, I'm going to be more truthful. Amen. Truthful with each other. Truthful with my, with my spouse. Truthful with my job, my employer. Truthful with my God. I'm just going to be more Truthful. It's like that woman that stopped by the deli on the corner there and she had visited. Actually, she was coming home from work and she was going to feed the family. She said, I'm going to stop by and buy a chicken, take it home. And so she stopped by the deli and went back there to see the butcher. She said, butcher, I need a chicken. Uh, can you get me one? So he reached down in the barrel and, and they pulled out a chicken and stuck it on the scale. And she looked at it and it was about a pound and a half. And she said, ah, it's not going to be big enough. I need more than that. And so he took it off the scale and stuck it back down the barrel and he filled around. Only problem was there's only one chicken. So he reached back up, grabbed that chicken and stuck it on the scale. And he said, that's two and a half pounds. She said, uh, I'll take both of them. Only problem was there's only one. He lied to her. Hey, you know what the problem is? A lot of times is we're just not truthful. We exaggerate things. We embellish things. We say things that are just not truthful. And get, let me tell you something. When you start lying, it gets you in a whole world of trouble. Last thing is this. Look at verse number 18. And the word of the Lord of, of hosts came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month. And the fast of the fifth month. These are the fasts we were talking about just a chapter over in chapter 7. And the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah. I want you to notice these three words, joy and gladness and cheerful. Now hold on a second, church, don't miss this. How in the world could fast, four fast, every year? If I came to you this morning, I said, church, I've got this great resolution for all of you. Let's try it. We're going to fast on this day. No food. 
And then we're going to fast again on this day. And then we're going to fast again on this day. And this, all of you would say, that's the depression had settled in. And I'm, the pastor preached this morning and said, we're going to miss four meals this year of all day. There'd be nobody in here saying, yeah, I get to fast. Yeah, I get to miss food. No, all of us love food, right? Can I get an amen? We love it. Praise God, I'm with you. And if somebody got up here and said, you're missing a meal or a whole day, I'm not going to rejoice, but here's what God said. Why are you fasting? Why are you, why are you miserable the way that you are? Why are you doing these things when the groom has showed up? That's what he's saying in verse number, verse number 19. He said, these fasts that you're doing, I have no problem with the fast, but why are you doing them? They ought to bring joy and gladness and cheerful feast. So he's turning the fast into feast. The last thing, he's turning fasting into feastings and truth and peace. So he's, he's saying these, these feasts, therefore love the truth and peace. He turns that fast into feasting. He answers the questions back in chapter 7. No need for fasting when the groom is present. It's a time for joy, not sorrow. Here's his prayer. Look at verse 20. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities and the inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go speedily to pray. There it is. Before the Lord and seek the Lord and I will go also. And yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. We see his prayer. His prayer. You know what his prayer was? Is that many would come. We're talking about the millennial reign, but many nations would come to Jerusalem. This city of God. This city of truth. And though... Israel, in a sense, missed Jesus Christ, the Messiah, for the most part. Many of them missed the Messiah. They missed it. The Bible says that He came into His own and His own received Him not. They missed the Messiah. They missed the miracles of the true miracles that Jesus did. They missed the meaning behind Him. They missed it all. They wanted a Savior from Rome instead of a Savior from their sins. So they're still kind of looking for a Messiah today. But the gospel went to the Gentiles. And here's, here's the prayer. And then also the presence, because in verse 23 it says this, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass, In those days it shall come, This is the future, This is the millennial reign, That ten men, The ten, the number of testimony, Shall take hold out of the languages of the nations, Even shall take hold of the skirt of him, Or the sleeve of him, That is a Jew, Saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Can I just say this? Oh, that men would hang on to our sleeves today and follow us to the house of worship. Just like the, prophe- the, the prophecy that Zechariah, the Lord has given Zechariah, to Zechariah to prophesy to the nation of Israel, Hey, that one day during this millennial reign, these ten nations or these ten men representing the nations will hang on to the sleeves of the Jew that is heading to Jerusalem. 
to worship the Messiah, to, to go to this great city, this city of truth. All that men would hang on to our sleeves today and say, you know what? I've heard you serve a great God. And I've heard that what God is doing down there at that church, I want a little part of that in my life. Listen, church, can I just say in this new year, may that be our prayer, is that at the end of this year, when we finish another year, and it'll be here before you know it, that someone sitting beside us was not here today. That we had someone hang on to our sleeve as we went to church. There's people that are sitting here today that was invited by somebody else. I meet people in the lobby in the first service. We had a great crowd. I mean, a wonderful crowd. And, and I met people there and they said, hey, uh, I was invited by so-and-so or I'm the neighbor of so-and-so. I met a man out here just a moment ago who said, I, I, I'm the neighbor of so-and-so and he invited me to church. You know what he's saying? I go here and I'm proud of my church. I'm proud of my Savior. I'm proud of what God's doing down there. And you need to come with me. You say, well, how do I do that? Start with a gospel track out here in the lobby. One track. We got them over here. We got them down at the other hallway. We got them out this door. Every door you go out, we just about got every area covered. And you can say, I'm going to start with one gospel literature, one gospel track, and I'm going to hand it to someone. Hey, that's a great start. Why? What you're saying is, what God has done for me, I sure would like it if He did it for you. In this sense, every nation, let's remember, saints, even the enemies of God, even our enemies. You know, it's so easy when we hear the news that we get so wrapped up in the news that we start, we start hating our enemies. But let me tell you something. We as Christians should love everyone. Oh, it's, we're, so, our, our, we're so filled with hate today and we're so, sometimes we'll look at someone and say, well, I, I wish they'd drop a bomb on that whole thing. I wish they would just end all. Now listen, if we're not careful, our hearts get hardened. And there's people even in our own country that we despise. We won't pray for them. We won't witness to them. And I love the fact that this gospel, that this book that I preach from, is no respecter of persons. Aren't you glad for that? No matter what color skin you have, no matter what nationality you are, no matter what creed or what even, uh, what even your social status is or how much your bank account has in it or how little, listen, God doesn't care about any of that. You're a soul in whom He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for. Hang on the sleeve of someone and get to a place where God is. And then you be the mouthpiece for God this year and say, I'm going to point men and women and boys and girls to Jesus Christ. I believe He's coming back, church. I believe He's coming back. We don't know, but we know that He is coming. And sometimes this year we get so wrapped up in material things. Can I read to you what our Lord said? And I'll be through. Jacob, you can make your way up here. Matthew chapter... Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this, and may it, may it be a good reminder for us, Matthew 6 and verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon this earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through 
nor steal. Often we have that verse all around. We lay up treasures down here. But the greatest treasure that we can have is can't take any of that with you, right? We can't take no treasure down here to heaven. Amen. We work for things and it just disappears. But one thing we can take with us to heaven is another soul. We can tell somebody else.